know that sometimes your life or those of a loved one are complicated and out of control? You're not alone. Welcome to In the Ring with Mia, featuring five-time world and international boxing champion Mia St. John. Mia and her guests will share stories and invite open discussions about topics that need to be discussed. You'll be empowered to find help or be help. Now, here's your host, Mia St. John. Good morning, everyone. You're in the ring with Mia, and I am your host, Mia St. John. Okay, got a lot is going on this week. So I don't know if you've been following me, you know that I've been fighting to keep my AA meetings going. Uh, Yeah, so I decided that I was still going to have them despite uh, people trying to shut me down, telling me I should not have these meetings. And I just feel like I need to still have my meetings because, I mean, it, these meetings are vital to us alcoholics. I don't think people realize, like, how many lives are saved with 12-step meetings. Over 3 million people die globally every year from alcohol-related deaths, far surpassing the coronavirus. So I'd say that's pretty fucking essential. But I'll tell you what isn't. Liquor stores that don't sell food, just liquor, marijuana shops that just sell marijuana, not food, alcohol delivery, which Garcetti just um, deemed essential, is just crazy to me. Um, And then I just was listening to CNN and I just heard, or no, it wasn't CNN. I forgot what it was. I think um, uh, Media Touch. which is a new outlet, but that is like, it's to me, it's like, what is the name of it? Do we have Dr. Rifkin? What is that media source that just came out? I think it's called, hang on you guys. Um, Cause I want to quote the right thing. Um, can you hear me, Mia? I can hear you. Okay. It's, it's medias, okay. medias touch.com. Um, did you hear this, that WWE was just deemed essential? (laughs) I'm confused. Um, and I really take that personal because I, you know, I lost my son and his father to addiction and nearly my own life. So I just, I'm just appalled that the WWE is, is now considered essential, but So anyway, to prove my point about my AA meetings, um, last week in, I I held a meeting in Marina Del Rey with less than 10 people, six feet apart, all of us wearing masks, and we had Lisa Guerrero from Inside Edition come film it, um, who is on the show today. And I wanted to share with you what she saw because my point is that it's far more dangerous to go into a grocery store than it is my AA meeting, a grocery store where we're all on top of each other. It's, it's nearly impossible. It is impossible to stay six feet apart from everyone. Um, not to mention that half the people are not wearing masks like they're supposed to be. Um, I just saw this happen yesterday when I walked into a store, there was a few people that didn't have a mask and uh, the cashier was like, oh, okay, well, it's okay. Go ahead, you know. <laughs> and, and, and you come to my meetings and you must wear, it's essential that you wear a, a mask. And if you don't have one, then I have one for you. So anyway, mm-hmm. let's welcome to the show, Lisa. Lisa, are you there? Can you hear me? Good morning, Mia. Good morning, Mia. Good morning. How are you? Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to be on your show to be talking about these really important subjects. And so congratulations, first of all, for having a show where Thank you're talking you. about these, these really, uh, you know, important subjects that people are talking about at home, um, but they may want to share their experiences and call in and tell you about them. And so I'm just, I'm really excited for you and for your listeners. 
Oh, well, thanks. And I'm so glad that you came to see our meetings and because I want you to tell my listeners like what you saw and what you think. Yeah. And, um, God, did you hear the news though about the WWE? Yeah. I, I actually thought about you too, because, um, look in, so here's one of the, the things that's really confusing for people when it comes to the coronavirus stay at home orders of quarantining, um, you know, every single state is different. And within these states, even city to city, these orders are different. And what's deemed non-essential in one town is not necessarily non-essential in another town. So this is what gets really confusing. And this is why the federal government has really been, you know, abysmal when it comes to controlling COVID-19. But for example, what you're talking about is uh, Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida, deemed the WWE an essential business. So they are allowed to have those fights or that form of entertainment. I don't really call it a sport because it's, it's, it's choreographed, of course, but they're, they're deeming that an essential business. But in another state... Um, you would not be able to put on those forms of entertainment because those would be deemed non-essential. So we can't have the Dodgers play a baseball game here in Los Angeles, but in Florida, apparently, they can have WWE events. Right. Um, so that's it's just ridiculous. But now, getting back are to these, the point are people of people allowed yeah. to go into the stadiums? As far as I know, no. What they were told is that they could have their events. Uh, their fights, their, um, you know, whatever you would call them, their events, but they're televising them, but not in a, uh, an arena full of people. Oh, but there's still it. obviously crews there. There are, you know, the performers, there are all of the people that are deemed necessary to have, you know, to put on these events still have to be there. So you're putting people's lives at risk. Right for a non-sport form of entertainment that's deemed essential in the state of Florida. So it's just right. absolutely ridiculous. Um, getting back to what I saw when, uh, when Inside Edition and I filmed your AA meeting, it was fascinating. First of all, everybody was in compliance. Everybody was taking the necessary precautions. First of all, um, there were less than 10 people at your AA meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were outside you were all sitting six feet apart. Everybody was wearing masks and gloves. So, you know, as far as what I saw as a reporter, that meeting to me seemed safe, and it certainly was necessary for the people that I interviewed there and I spoke to. For example, one of the members told me that that he could not do these meetings via Zoom uh, because he doesn't have Internet service. So how is he supposed to get the help he needs if he can't get online to visit one of these AA meetings? And he said to me that the person-to-person contact, looking at somebody's eyes, knowing that person was there in front of him in real life was essential for his recovery. And he was very passionate about that. And, you know, I think that a lot of people are very quick to just, judge and say, oh, no, you know, you can just go and take one of these meetings on Zoom. You don't need to be there. That's just, that's so arrogant. It, first of all, uh, you know, poses the, the obvious, uh, you know, issue, which is, does everybody have Wi-Fi? No. A lot right. of the people does that you work with me are phone? homeless. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, you, know the government you, you, can't, you can't presume the- everybody is sitting in front of a computer. Right. And those government phones are, you know, the, uh, the ones that, uh, they're like these little flip phones. They're not smartphones. So, um, so even though some of them might have cell phones, um, they don't necessarily have internet. So, and, and I've done those zoom meetings. I tried that. And what I don't like about it for myself is that there's no accountability. 
you know, like you can come in whenever yeah. you want. You can leave whenever you want. No one necessarily, you could be having a drink on the side and, and no one's going to see you. And what I, what I like about the in-person meetings is that I am held accountable. Like at least for that time, I have to be there. Eyes are on me and people are going to know when I share whether I drank or not. And it's really hard to share in the Zoom meetings, I'll tell you, because sometimes there's hundreds and hundreds of people on there and your chances of ever getting to share are going to be nearly impossible. Um, but Lisa, stay with us. Um, hopefully you'll stay with us for the next segment. Um, we have to take a break and hear from our sponsors and we will be right back. And then Dr. Rifkin will join in. Okay, so let me talk to you for a moment about my favorite cosmetic dentist, Dr. Lawrence Rifkin in Beverly Hills, because anyone that knows me knows how important my teeth are, especially having boxed for over 20 years. Have you ever wondered how your favorite stars have such flawless smiles? Have you ever seen a star with a noticeably fake smile? The difference between the two is the cosmetic dentist they chose. Dr. Lawrence Rifkin has been a dentist to the stars in the heart of Beverly Hills for the past 30 years. His patients are the elite of all industries and have a discerning eye for quality. So if you're looking for a Hollywood smile makeover that looks so natural you can keep it a secret, Dr. Lawrence Rifkin is the cosmetic dentist you should consult with. His experience as a pioneer in smile makeovers, along with him also being a professional sculptor, has made him a leader in creating beautiful smiles as well as all your dental needs from the simplest to the most complex. Please don't wait and visit DrLawrenceRifkin.com or call 310-273-0200. We'd like to thank you for listening to In the Ring with Mia. When not on set, she's busy helping the less fortunate through the Mia St. John Foundation. And now, Mia could use your help more than ever by visiting her at her website, miastjohnfoundation.org, and making a donation. You help create a safe place for those suffering from mental illness, homelessness, and addiction. So don't delay. Visit miastjohnfoundation.org today and help us make changes in the lives of those who need it the most. In my career as a professional boxer, I've knocked out many opponents in the ring. Now I need your help to knock out my toughest opponent yet, the stigma surrounding mental illness. I'm on a personal mission to help people understand that with the right kind of support, individuals with mental health conditions can live productive lives. And that's why I serve as a board member for Step Up, a national nonprofit organization headquartered in Santa Monica, California, that is helping save the lives of young adults and others with serious mental health conditions across the country. Step Up also works to end homelessness for this group of individuals. I urge you to go to their website at www.stepuponsecond.org and get involved in the fight today. Together, you and I can knock out stigma once and for all. You are listening to In the Ring with Mia. To reach Mia St. John or her guest on today's show, call in with questions or comments to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to miastjohnblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back in the ring. You're back in the ring with Lisa Guerrero from Inside Edition. Lisa, thank you for being on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Mia. Oh, thanks for being on. And I think we have you. Okay, so you were at my AA meeting and you saw how we did it. We also had Dr. Rifkin was there. Larry, are you there? Yes. I, I am here, ladies. With the, so, this is so exciting uh, to be with my two favorite, most intelligent, beautiful ladies. Thank you, Lisa. You're- uh, Mia, thank you for letting me uh, be on the show <laughs> as I can. Um, so, Larry, what did you see when you were at the meeting? I know that you had a couple of critiques, um, which is good because I want to hear them. I want to know, you know, what we can do to make the meeting safer um, because, you know, that's priority. Sure. We want everyone safe. But, but you witnessed the meeting. What did you think? Well, you know, I observed as uh, as Lisa did, and I come from obviously a, a medical background, so I'm all for safety, okay, and uh, I'm also for 
sensitivity and being empathetic with people that need treatment. And I consider these meetings, although that was my first one I had ever observed, I thought it was essential. And I thought that these, uh, these people, uh, underscoring what Lisa said, that they don't always have access to Zoom. I'm, I'm sitting here, thank gosh, I, I have a computer and I can Zoom and I can, I can connect with my colleagues because we're kind of alone in uncharted territory as well. But at that meeting, everything that Lisa said is 100% true. I mean, people were properly uh, behaving with CDC guidelines. There was, it was outdoors. There was proper spacing, gloves, masks. And I saw that it was very, very important for people to connect in person. You know, even, even you and I, everybody, they want to at least have some family connection. Being on the computer, being on FaceTime, even if you have that, is not quite the same. And if you're in need, such as an AA meeting, which I see it as a some sort of a, a needed medical treatment or just a therapy, just to just emotionally be connected, I thought that everybody there was very respectful. I don't see any any reason why, with proper guidelines, proper spacing, proper protection, uh, people cannot have the benefit of these meetings. You know, and the same thing for churches. I don't want to get political about this. I think we're in uncharted territory, but I think there has to be a common sense, rational approach to this. And, uh, you know, in dentistry, we're, we're changing, obviously, our protocols of social distancing. We've always had universal precautions and extreme awareness of safety and non-transmission of cross-contamination. But going back to your AA meeting, uh, I thought it was uh, properly, professionally, respectfully done, um, proper spacing. And I, and I see that we're there's a need to understand, have some common sense to these situations where people can gather together in the proper amount, the number of people in the gatherings, just to be safe. You know, I come from that safety standpoint, but I also want people to be treated emotionally and empathetically during this really uh, challenging time of ours. That's, that, was, that was my observation. Right. I thought everybody, including the crew and everybody around it, acted properly and, and behaved well, and I thought it was very, a great benefit to those participants at their meeting. Right. Now, Lisa, yeah. I know you probably, um, you'll know this better than me, but I thought that we were allowed to meet or people could gather if you had less than 10. Has that changed? That hasn't changed as far as I know, but, but let me make a couple of things really clear to set the table about why we were there, why Inside Edition was there. So alcohol sales have spiked. They're up 300%. So we wanted to do wow. a story about, you know, how people are reacting through this coronavirus stay-at-home order uh, challenge that we're all facing. And, you know, we have noticed that sales of alcohol has been ticking up for five weeks. And when we did the story, we, that, we included that in the story. And, um, and also some doctors are saying that alcohol is, is affecting how uh, people are, um, you know, more susceptible to COVID-19. Right. It lowers, it lowers your, your senses. Im- so immune system. Immune yeah. system, right. So mm-hmm. that was also part of our story, and that set up us going to visit your, your meeting and how some people are dealing with with this and how it's been very difficult for, for those that, that need these recovery programs. Now, that having been said, getting back to your, you know, is 10 people or less, is that still, you know, can you still gather in, the, in these small groups? You can, but in your case, Mia, the area that we were in, in Marina Del Rey, that was a private um, uh it's like a community, so it's, right, it's not except a gated community. Where, you can drive where, in. Where we were gathered it is owned by the city. That's public. Uh, but the guy that came in his cart and tried to break up right, uh, this, our group, right. he, was, he was not a city. He was not an official from the right. city. He was from the private. He was from the, the, the security. That, Right. Yeah, he's a private security person for that mm-hmm. building unit area. So it's just like a condominiums, basically, and apartment buildings. And so he was hired as a private security person. He was not from the state. He was not a local, you know, cop. He was not somebody from the government. He was private security guy. So and he was told the that right? there weren't supposed to be these gatherings on that channel area. 
Um, okay, that's right. What he but told that's us. what I'm saying. Like that channel area, what does he have to do with that? That has nothing to do. That that area that we were in and the channel where we were sitting, that's all city. And that walkway is city. So what did he have to do with us gathering? So it was interesting because he came up to us as well. And, you know, what are you doing? Who are you here shooting for? And we told him, you know, who we were and what we were doing. And he he'd said that somebody had complained. So somebody that owned one of those condominiums called him to complain about this large group. Um, right. Their words, Which we not weren't words. even on. I don't think we ever even stepped on the property. We were the entire time in the middle where the pavement is. And then the meeting was held yeah. on the um, public, uh, public yeah, property. Boardwalk, but, you know, but that's how sensitive. And, and, you know, we're getting into the minutia of this right now. But, but the bigger picture overall is people are extremely sensitive, obviously, mm-hmm. about, you know, any large groups around them or around their living area. And, you know, for us, we, you know, you had a small group and we had a small crew with us, but still that alarmed somebody enough that they called their, you know, private security team to come and check on what we were doing. They didn't come back after that, that, that we noticed, you know, because we left and, you know, he'd just come at the beginning and then he left. But, mm-hmm. but what's interesting is, you know, people are, there's a lot of fear around what's happening. There's a lot of, uh, nonsense floating around in terms of crazy information and, and right. you know, people are getting conflicting information and the facts and the science, as we know, as we're learning changes, not just day to day, but hour to hour. So, you know, it's essential right. that we listen to doctors and that we listen to scientists and fact-based uh, reporters that are trying to give us valid information and not go with our fear or these crazy, you know, conspiracy theories that are floating around out there. But people are scared. I mean, when you open up, yesterday in the Boston Globe, there were 16 pages of obituaries. People are dying. We're, we're hovering at 41,000 deaths right now, and we can't get enough testing. We don't know who's carrying COVID-19. We don't know who's already had it, who's asystematic. We don't know any of this yet. Um, right, which is if interesting. You're asymptomatic, why? you don't know if you're if you're passing it to somebody else. So that's why people are scared, and that's why people are demanding that you wear masks. Right, and then, it, but it's interesting because when you go into the grocery stores, um, like Larry, when I left um, uh, Malibu yesterday, I went into a grocery store. There were many people that, oh, I forgot my mask, or I don't have one that um, were shopping and and they're all on top of each other, which is interesting because that is, you know, I go into a lot of grocery stores um, and it's interesting how people are, I mean, there's crowds and crowds of people that are not six yeah. feet apart. It's impossible to be six feet. You're going down an aisle and there's tons of people in the aisle. How are you supposed to be six feet apart? It's just impossible. Well, you know, one of the things that a lot of supermarkets have started to do is have one-way aisles so that, you know, you can still maintain a safe distance from each other and not be crossing each other in the aisles. Right. So one-way aisles is a smart way to do it. There needs to be a greeter at the, at the front. And these, this is, you know, these businesses, these business owners that own these grocery chains, they need to have somebody at the front who's handing out masks to people that don't have masks or gloves if people ask for gloves. You know, I'm sorry, but if, if you're running a business and you're profiting off of us going into your business to have to buy groceries and our essential products, then you need to keep us safe. You need to make, make sure that people right. are wearing masks going in. The sign outside is not doing it. It's not doing enough. No. You have to have no. somebody there turning people away if you don't have a face covering. And you can have a face right. covering at home. I've, I've, you know, on my YouTube channel, I show people how you can make one out of cloth and two rubber bands. So you don't have to get one on the internet. You don't have to have a medical grade mask to go shopping, but you need to have a face covering. But these stores need to have somebody at the front demanding that. 
Larry, what's the... Uh, I agree with you, uh, Lisa, but um, people have to have some sort of face covering, but, you know, some of these, we are struggling even in dentistry and medicine to get our PPE. We're trying to get more masking right. fabricated. We're ramping up, and so this is a challenge, and I agree with you that everything should be, you should err on the side of safety, and there should be a monitor, and I like the fact, I even said this to, to Mia yesterday, that why don't we just have one-way aisles on these on the uh, grocery stores, and that does, that makes yeah, that's an improvement. But saying yeah, all these new protocols have to be implemented and put out, and people have to be compliant. You know, without the compliance, right. what good is it? You know, we can make all the rules right. in the world, but there's a personal responsibility, and there's a communal social responsibility that we have to share as as neighbors and friends and part of this planet to help one another. Um, until so there... rapid testing, which we're talking about now. Uh, we've got to get the rapid testing. The saliva test is a new, really interesting saliva test, hopefully coming out of Rutgers, that will rapidly, you could even do this at home. You just basically spit into a cup and use your reagent, and you will find out whether you've been exposed to it rather than the nasal swabs. But the nasal swabs are also coming out. So before patients even come into our office, in our environment, we are going to have to either go down to their car and their, quote, safe environment and do a nasal swab before they can come into the office, or they're going to have to show some sort of certification proof of their saliva test. This is a, a kind of a really complicated world that's, that's coming to us right now until we either get this vaccine. Now, this is obviously short-term, medium-term, and long-term solutions to this problem. It has social implication, obviously. It has business implication. And, but we, we need to err on the side of, of, of safety because I don't want to. I would never want to spread this. I'm sure you, no one would want to spread this to anybody else, but people are just getting frustrated. So we've really got to get the science up to par. We've got to get a consistency because there's doctors, as you know, that are on TV and spreading that, that we need herd immunity. Maybe we should get the disease because if we don't get it now, we're just going to delay it and get it well, later by the yeah, social distancing. Crazy, uh, Larry. I mean, so you're you're uh, about my age. Do you remember? Yeah, herd immunity. Remember when we were little, like back in the seventies, like our parents wanted us, like you weren't supposed to be cleaning your babies all the time. You're supposed to let them roll around in the dirt and touch mud and touch this and touch that because you wanted them to get sick to build their immune system. Is that kind mm -hmm. of the same thing? Dr. Rifkin, is that kind of like the same thinking? Well, I, you know, herd immunity obviously helps build our immune systems and not shelter ourselves so much. But when we have somebody, when there's so many mass deaths, some sort of pandemic, epidemic like this, you don't want to count on herd immunity. Say, well, we'll let the weak people die and, you know, and only the strong will survive. Uh, I think we, we've become more civilized in that. Our longevity has increased based upon medical science. But yes, on the other hand, we haven't done enough for prevention to uh, build our own personal immunities to, to make these diseases less severe and less, uh, less harmful. Uh, but yeah, I think, that, I think a lot of medicine needs to have some new approaches to prevention, to strengthening ourselves, nutrition, exercise, all the things that we talk about. And we can't let these, I don't know, I don't want to say rogue medical experimentations of different viruses uh, go uncontrolled or unmonitored. Uh, you know, here we're going to go into the, the political politics of this, the World Health Organization, how much monitoring from all the different countries, all the different experimental labs, you know, needs to, needs to occur to let, uh, if this is how this, in fact, uh, virus uh, got out. And th there will be other viruses in the future. This, this is the nature of, of nature. You know, viruses will change. So we need to build our immunity and we need to be more responsive, be more prepared. This is a, this what is the you, new war for the. What are you thinking about those? Um, I had a question about those makeshift masks too. Um, mm -hmm. Are those really safe? There's two kinds of masks. Ones that prevent uh, you from receiving particles, micro, microscopic viral particles into your own system. And those are the N95 or stronger respirator type masks. And the other type of cloth mask, homemade mask, they do not protect you from other aerosols and particles coming into you. They will reduce the amount of droplets that you produce by speaking and coughing okay. and sneezing. But even speak, we, don't, we, we say six feet, we say 10 feet. There are studies that show that if you sneeze, it'll go 23 feet. 
Mm-hmm. I always wonder about science. How do we get allergies? These pollen particles, they blow from the wind from a tree 20 miles away. Right. Who knows? So, so these, these aerosols, these particles and viruses and allergens, they're, they're in the air. We need to come up with a vaccine. We need to come up with treatments, and we need to build our immune system. And we need to be well prepared for the medical challenges uh, of the world, especially when we are so tightly packed in a community like New York and the larger cities that have the highest percentage of transmissions. And uh, this is a, this is a, a new awakening for the, for the world. Um, I want to bring in, I think we have a caller. Uh, is Shane still mm-hmm. on the line? Yes, I'm on. Oh, hi, Shane. Okay, so Shane was at, he's one of my students from Step Up on Second, um, who was, so Step Up on Second is our homeless shelter in Santa Monica, which now we're actually nationwide. But Shane was one of my students and actually was at my meeting and witnessed it. And what, what were your thoughts about the meeting, Shane? Um, my thoughts was, I think everything was pretty properly, properly done. Um, safe distancing was um, pretty well implemented. I know mostly uh, I found where I'll be going shopping around. The numbers are at like 10, some places are at 5. Um, but I, I think it was pretty well uh, executed. But they, and they how do you feel like how important is it? Normally. Do you think that we're, um, you know, I was really sad to see. We'll keep him anonymous. We saw one of our um, one of our students the other day <clears throat> in Santa Monica um, wandering the streets, and you could tell he definitely had relapsed, and um, it just broke my heart because. Um, yeah. Gosh, he looked like he had dropped like fifty pounds and just was like a skeleton of his old self. And yeah, he was clearly, that's, that's like, uh, maybe like people like us are, are are okay. We have resources and things to take care of ourselves. But mainly, I'm I'm more concerned about people because I, I have friends that are, that are still out here homeless, and I, I are extremely worried about them. Because yeah. they don't have technology to get the information that they need is completely updated, which are some people are probably are not knowing what's going on. Right. I talked to many of folks that don't even know what to have or what to do or what's going on until they find some type of social media or some type of technology. Most of, most people have phones to get in contact, contact with people. People are all starving. Um, yeah. this is very painful to watch for this, this, this on my end because I have been through it and just imagine being out here during a pandemic that's insane right. I know and it's it scary people out here crying people are scared it made me so sad um, because this student of mine was actually a patient of Dr. Rifkin um, I don't know if you remember, Larry, but we, we, um, (laughs) yeah, you guys know each other, but we sent, Mm -hmm. um, we sent this kid to Dr. Rifkin, um, when I was having a boxing class and he got his tooth knocked out and, um, Dr. Rifkin actually saved his tooth and, but, um, such a sweet kid and, you know, he was like my son's age and it just broke my heart to see him wandering the streets. And I tried to give him money. He didn't even want money. He didn't want anything. He was just so out of his mind. And um, what are some things we can do? Because a lot of our resources for these people have been cut off because the shelter yeah. is scared to have um, resources I mean, like you have, you have shelters. Um, we have shelters, you gotta, you gotta but there remember. are hours. The hours were cut. Um, yeah. So a, left a lot of them back out on the street. I mean, what is something that we could do? I mean, what I think can we, should we probably, do? Well, I'm thinking because I mean, you, you have to remember a lot of people are dealing with um, 
addiction. And a lot of people are probably not going to know where to go or probably even want to go if they're even in the right mind cycle to even comprehend the magnitude of the situation. Um, I think there should suffice to be some type of little small um, group probably trying to rally people or who are still on the streets because I see people still on the streets all the time. They sleep on this yeah. the concrete with a blanket. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there should be people on foot sometimes or even in vehicles see if they can rally people or try to get some people off the streets while they still can. Um, I know in my city where I'm from, they have people all the time when it's cold and people die when it's like in, in the winter season during this time. So they have, they have groups of small groups of people in cars and vans that go and pick people up for shelters. And uh, I think we should be doing the same thing. Yeah. Lisa, do you know what we're doing now, what the city is doing for the homeless now? I know you did now, a report on so there, something. There was an announcement over the weekend that the governor, Gavin Newsom, had secured close to 15,000 hotel rooms for homeless people throughout the state. And I think they were trying to get that number up closer to 25,000 rooms. So they had been able to get a certain amount of hotel chains to uh, agree to let homeless people live there during the pandemic. So if that actually comes to fruition, that obviously would be a huge um, way to combat this. You know, I I noticed, I, I posted about this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that, you know, all of those uh, those hotel rooms in Las Vegas are empty, and they were having um, homeless people uh, sleep on the parking lots spaced six feet apart. They actually painted these, like, boxes right, I saw in the that. parking lot. Why aren't they letting them into those hotel rooms? You know, so that's, again, we're now getting into these political conversations where, you know, why is this a state-by-state issue instead of a federal issue? I'm not sure what's going on with that. But I know that in California, Gavin Newsom has been trying to get this passed, and it looks like they've got these rooms donated. So now it's a matter of getting folks from the streets and into these hotel rooms. Right, and therein lies the problem, because how do you do that exactly when someone is suffering from mental illness um, or psychosis? How, it's like, it's like, Shane, you saw it. We tried to yeah. round up our students yeah. like, and you, say, you come just, on, you come with us. You can't people, you, you like, can't. like they don't go into a shelter. There need to be some types of small understanding groups There's that can talk be... and reach out to people and get them right. in there. Not a lot of people are going to go. A lot of people are not finding out not... understand what you're even talking about. No, like, like our, um, you know, our friend was... He wasn't, I don't even think he was really, he wasn't coherent. I know that. No. Um, no. I mean, this is someone who wouldn't even take food and he, he looked like, I mean, he was emaciated and, and just completely out of his mind. He would not take any help. Um, he was dirty, disheveled. Um, it's going to take a group of people to sort of do mm-hmm. like an intervention. Someone who is, yeah, someone who is educated in mental illness who knows how to deal with people with schizophrenia um, or uh, drug-induced psychosis Um, because and I have yet to see a plan like that from our state Um, even when they talk about getting the homeless from downtown Los Angeles from Skid Row they have these housing ideas, and I've gone to the the housing uh, committees, um, and but that's the one thing they don't talk about. They try to solve the housing issue, like okay, we can get housing here and there, but they never talk about. But how do we actually get them in there? Um, one of the things they need to utilize, in my opinion, are organizations that are already in place that already do that, that already have outreach in these communities. They should be reaching out to you, Mia, and your organization, organizations like the Salvation Army, organizations uh, that are already set in communities and already know what the needs are there, have already done needs assessment 
planning in their communities, and they need to organize and reach out to you to start this network of help. And that's, you know, getting down into, um, you know, the, the actual parks and the areas where you know people are living. And, right. you know, it's, it's going to take a group effort, but they should be utilizing organizations that are already in place where you people already know who the people are that need to be right. served. And I think, yeah. you know, that's probably something that's going to, to start happening. I've read that the Salvation Army has been really involved uh, with, with uh, Gavin Newsom's team. And because they're an international and national, of course, state organization, they already have shelters in place and they know where a lot of these needs are. Right. One more thing I want to bring up, but we've got to take a break and hear from our, our sponsors. And we'll be right back with Lisa Guerrero, Shane Van Peoples, and Dr. Lawrence Rifkin. Okay, so let me talk to you for a moment about my favorite cosmetic dentist, Dr. Lawrence Rifkin in Beverly Hills, because anyone that knows me knows how important my teeth are, especially having boxed for over 20 years. Have you ever wondered how your favorite stars have such flawless smiles? Have you ever seen a star with a noticeably fake smile? The difference between the two is the cosmetic dentist they chose. Dr. Lawrence Rifkin has been a dentist to the stars in the heart of Beverly Hills for the past 30 years. His patients are the elite of all industries and have a discerning eye for quality. So if you're looking for a Hollywood smile makeover that looks so natural you can keep it a secret, Dr. Lawrence Rifkin is the cosmetic dentist you should consult with. His experience as a pioneer in smile makeovers, along with him also being a professional sculptor, has made him a leader in creating beautiful smiles as well as all your dental needs from the simplest to the most complex. Please don't wait and visit DrLawrenceRifkin.com or call 310-273-0200. We'd like to thank you for listening to In the Ring with Mia. When not on set, she's busy helping the less fortunate through the Mia St. John Foundation. And now, Mia could use your help more than ever by visiting her at her website, miastjohnfoundation.org, and making a donation. You help create a safe place for those suffering from mental illness, homelessness, and addiction. So don't delay. Visit miastjohnfoundation.org today and help us make changes in the lives of those who need it the most. In my career as a professional boxer, I've knocked out many opponents in the ring. Now I need your help to knock out my toughest opponent yet, the stigma surrounding mental illness. I'm on a personal mission to help people understand that with the right kind of support, individuals with mental health conditions can live productive lives. And that's why I serve as a board member for Step Up, a national nonprofit organization headquartered in Santa Monica, California, that is helping save the lives of young adults and others with serious mental health conditions across the country. Step Up also works to end homelessness for this group of individuals. I urge you to go to their website at www.stepuponsecond.org and get involved in the fight today. Together, you and I can knock out stigma once and for all. You are listening to In the Ring with Mia. To reach Mia St. John or her guest on today's show, call in with questions or comments to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back in the ring. You're back in the ring with Mia St. John. So I've been talking to Lisa Guerrero from Inside Edition and Dr. Lawrence Rickin and one of our students, Shane, about our AA meetings, um, how I am just insisting that we keep having them because they are essential. Um, I've stated many times that over 3 million people die globally every year from alcohol-related deaths. Um, so to me, that is, that is essential. But we've been talking about how to get, how to help the homeless right now, how to get them into um, safe housing when a lot of them are abusing drugs and alcohol. Um, it's going to really take a team effort. And what is the best way to do that? Um, Shane, Lisa, Dr. Rifkin, any thoughts? 
What is something well, this, we can this, do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think me, you, and uh, Lisa, and of course, you know, Shane is a shining example of the success story of how you have outreach to different programs that are already in place. How Shane found it, how it found him, how you found him, and the progress that he's made. He's he's amazing, and I just want to give you a big shout out and compliment, Shane. You're you're a success story, and you're a shining example. And I think your leadership. Your ability to be on this show, your ability to communicate is also going to be part of the team on a, on a grander effort. Uh, this, this problem with the homeless and the addiction um, is a problem that occurred well before the coronavirus. Right. And it's been ongoing and shame. And um, federal state intervention needs to help along with those people that, as Lisa said, that are most qualified, that are most in touch with people that have these problems, like, you know, a gambler knows gambler addiction, a former gambler, uh, a former gang member can help current gang members. Someone that has an alcohol addiction disease can be the one, the one that can reach out to those that are still currently suffering with the problem, along with those professionals that can provide therapy, location, help. What do we do with those people that are addicted and don't want to go to the shelter. I mean, you have to treat them as, with as much empathy and try to get them off the streets for their own benefit and for the community. So I don't have the answer to that, now, but I think that a team Dr. effort from Rifkin, all of you. Let me ask you this, as far as like herd community, and um, Lisa, you could chime in too, because I know you'd know something about this. Um, you know, we haven't seen a, a rise in coronavirus for the homeless community. And you would think that they would be the majority of the ones contracting this virus, right? I mean, living homeless, living um, so close in close quarters with each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why Um, haven't Me personally, like, these individuals are just straight-up survivors. People have been surviving in... Well, but that's what I mean. Like, is this herd herd community? Oh, wow. You know, I can't can't speak without any real data. Um, You know, obviously, I'm going to go to the scientific perspective, so that's my window I look through. I don't know the incidence of coronavirus... um, uh, positive homeless people as compared to the regular population, whether they're well, just being, they, they yeah, don't go in for treatment. Seen, um, but Lisa, do you know any statistics on that? Well, here's the biggest problem. We're not getting tested. We don't know what the, the numbers are. We don't right. know. There's no data to back up whether or not that's true. There's no testing in place. And, and if there's mass testing, then we would know those numbers. But, but, they would appear, but they would appear if they were quite ill potentially, if they didn't die on the streets, unfortunately, I hate to even say that, but if they weren't taken to an ER, you would know whether they came off homeless right, or not. Right, exactly. I mean, if has gathering that data be, yet, that might be in retrospect. And that could be um, a reason that we're not see, seeing or hearing about it because a lot of them don't even go to the hospital when they're sick or to a doctor when they're sick. Right. They just exactly. write it out. Mm-hmm. So, so we... So that's probably why we're not seeing them because, yeah, why aren't we seeing them in the ERs? And they're probably just, you know, they don't have access or they're, they just, a lot of them just don't go. A lot of yeah. them don't like to go to the doctor, to a hospital. So yeah, um, that could be one thing. What do you think? I don't Shay? think we know enough yet. Our statistics are incomplete. Our testing, as Lisa said, even there's 25% of the population that are tested positive and have no symptoms. So right. it affects everybody differently. And other than that, I don't know the statistics until this plays out for months, until they really get enough data to really say with authority or accuracy, what is the difference between a homeless person or a non-homeless person? Who's at risk? Who's not? It may be what Shane said. These are survivors. They've, they've already lasted so long on the streets that maybe they do have herd immunity. Maybe their immune yeah. systems are strong, fight their addictions and, and lack of medical care. On the other hand, they may be just as susceptible as anybody else. We just don't have the data on it. 
Yeah, we're not going to know yeah, today. People get tested. I don't think we know large, large quantities. Yeah, and Shane, how are you doing? How are you doing with all of this? And um, um I'm I'm doing the best I can. Um, normally, like if I'm out, I try to help when I can. Like if I if I see someone that needs any food, any water, or like just just need any any type of help, I I try to be there for them. Um, mostly just try to like get this relay uh, information or, or where to go or like to or reach right. out for help or if they have family, call family or call someone that they can get you some type of help because now is not really a good time to be, you know. Right. Well, I appreciate everything you do and I want to thank you guys so much for being on the show. Uh, Lisa, what do you have coming up? What stories you got coming up and how can people get in touch with you? So thank you for asking that, Mia. So I'm on Inside Edition. Typically, I'm the investigative reporter. So I do long-form investigations all over the country. But, of course, I'm not traveling these days. So I'm doing a lot of local stories based out of Los Angeles for Inside Edition. And, of course, we've been focused on the coronavirus epidemic and its impact on people, on families, and on small businesses. So you can watch me on Inside Edition. And you can also get in touch with me. I love social media. I love to hear your tips and ideas for stories. So you can reach out to me at the number 4, Lisa Guerrero, G-U-E-R-R-E-R-O. And I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. So send me your story ideas and watch me on Inside Edition. Thank you for and having me, Mia. And Lisa. So great Thank to hear from you, Shane, and good to talk to you, Dr. Ripkin. And Dr. Ripken, Good to talk to you, Lisa. Reach, Thank you for doing what you do. And listen to your it? stories. You get down to the pithiest types of stories that we need to hear, not just the, the basic news. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next week on In the Ring with Mia. Thank you for tuning into In the Ring with Mia. Be sure to join host Mia St. John for the next show on Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, you are one of the most important people in the world.